recently in all of the Matt Dillahunty debates and conversations, his uh, new tactic, newer tactic, where he started to try to dismiss all historical claims really relating around the Gospels uh, by, by hand-waving them away by saying claims are not evidence. Now, again, this tactic is meant really as an attempt to try to, to get rid of historical reportage around the Gospels from being considered as evidence, which really is a tough road to hoe for Matt as I don't think that he realizes just how much historiography uses reportage, and usually not eyewitness reportage of that, to establish facts of history that we believe to be true. Now, I'm not going to be defending all historiography. I'm not going to be defending, um, you know, the, the, the gospel reports or anything like that. I've, I've, I've actually been told by some atheistic fundamentalists like Jesus mythicists that they'll just bite the bullet and, and say yes, that it means that we cannot claim to have reasonable belief about what we know for most of history. But that's really an extreme position that I don't think most atheists are going to be willing to take. But I'm not here to be defending historiography or you know any specific historical thesis like the reliability of the Gospels or the resurrection of Jesus or anything like that. Here, I'm just going to quickly show that the objection that claims are not evidence is demonstrably false. While this quip may sound good to certain kinds of skeptics, especially when Matt tries to say something like, well, that's just how good epistemology is done, that there really are simple defeaters that are easy to find. And as such, this retort by Matt, and now parroted by atheists all over the internet, simply cannot be used to hand wave away and dismiss historical reportage from consideration. It just falls flat. And so rather than trying to simply dismiss reportage out of hand, Matt and company will need to actually begin to engage reasonably uh, with the evidence and the historiography and the methods of historiography placed before them. So first, let's start with what is evidence? In a nutshell, evidence is anything presented in favor of establishing that something is true. That is, anything that is presented which increases our warrant to believe that something is the case. That's it. Now, while there's a huge amount of literature on this, especially when we start to distinguish between evidence in a broad sense and evidence in a specifically legal sense, for example, which there's a ton of disagreement around what counts as evidence and how it's used and to what degree it's reliable evidence and, and so on and so forth. But the basic view of evidence distilled down is that evidence is anything that increases our warrant to believe that something is the case or some proposition is true or some state of affairs is fact or, or some iteration like that. Really, it's anything that increases our warrant for a belief. So in order to show that Matt's truism is false, I only need to give one counterexample. Now, I, I could actually give a ton of them, but here I'm only gonna give two. One is from eyewitness testimony and the other is from future conditions. 
Okay, the first eyewitness testimony is not only considered strong evidence in court, but it's also one of the most reliable lines of evidence in historical reportage. And that's not just long gone far off historical reportage. It's anything from the nightly news or police cases now or, you know, the Vietnam War. I mean, it's it's anything that, that really is we're, we're looking at reportage on. We may have physical evidence that something happened, but testimonials are often how we put pieces together and come to accurate beliefs about what really happened or actually happened. Okay, so think of a court case where someone's on trial for murder and we're all the jurors. There's an eyewitness called to the stand, but the only contribution and the only reason that the, this eyewitness is called, right? They didn't see the murder, they don't know the person, anything, is that uh, the, and the, so the only reason that they're called for the prosecution is that they say, they claim to have seen the defendant at the scene of the crime around the time of the murder. That's it. There's no physical evidence to corroborate the claim. There's no surveillance footage or DNA or boot prints or anything like that. But we have a person who claims that they saw the defendant at the scene of the crime around the time of the murder. Is that evidence? Of course it is. But we can make that even stronger. What if we had three people who all independently claimed to have seen the defendant at the scene of the crime around the time of the murder? Would that be evidence? Of course, it would actually be stronger evidence than if we just have the one. But think about that for a minute. If Matt's contention is that claims are not evidence, full stop, they are they have zero evidentiary weight. That is, they 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 they, they just don't count for evidence at all. Their sum total, their net total of increase to our warrant should be zero. Then adding the number of people who claim to have seen the defendant shouldn't increase our warrant for or our belief that the defendant was there at the time of the murder. If zero times one is zero, then zero times two is zero. Zero times three is zero. Zero times 100 is zero. It doesn't matter. If claims have zero evidentiary value, then putting a bottomless bucket inside of a bottomless bucket, no matter how many bottomless buckets you have, won't make it hold any water. So the claim of one person seeing them there, now, it may not be compelling enough for us to conclude with certainty that the defendant was there, but it certainly is not a, a, a sum zero of evidence. Now, of course, part of this is if the witness is reliable or if they have a motivation to lie or maybe they're visually impaired so we can only call so we can call into question if their testimony is strong enough or not. But all that does is to ask how strong is the evidence that we're presented with? Not is it evidence? How big of an influence what we're trying to figure out is how big of an influence should that piece of evidence have? on my warrant as a juror to believe that piece of the case that the defendant was really there. At that point, the question again isn't if the witness claim is evidence, but how good, how strong should that evidence be? How much consideration, how much weight should I give to that evidence? Okay, the second thing that I want to look at is beliefs about future conditions. Now, Imagine that I was out with Matt for lunch after a debate or something, and he got a call from his wife. I think that he's married. I'm pretty sure he's married. 
And his wife said she had a long day and he had a long day and he didn't and, and she didn't want to them to cook dinner and have to clean up and do all of that. And, and so really what she wanted to do was go to their favorite restaurant that night. Matt agrees. Uh, he's had a long day and he'd like that as well. And so she says that she'll meet him there at 6 p.m. Now, after the call, I immediately asked Matt, even after hearing what the conversation was about, if he wants to get dinner with me. He looks at me somewhat surprised because he knows that I just heard the conversation with his wife and that he has dinner plans. And so he says he can't because he's going to meet his wife for dinner. Well, I say, all I heard was that she claimed that she would be there at 6 p.m. But claims aren't evidence. And so you have no reason to believe that she'll be there at 6 p.m., right? So why go? Does Matt commonly go to restaurants hoping to meet people who has no evidence that they'll be there? I mean, I have no evidence to believe that Robert De Niro is going to be at the Chili's down the street, but I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go down there for dinner and, and, and I'm going to turn down other dinner invites because I'm planning to meet Robert De Niro for dinner at, at, and share a queso dip. I mean, if I have no evidence, if I have no reason to believe that Robert De Niro will be there, then why should I go? Of course not. Matt, Matt's wife's claim that she intends to meet him is sufficient warrant. It, it is evidence for him to believe that she intends to meet him. And as such, he acts on that belief, which, as, as, a, as a tangent, actually is what we mean by faith. It's the volitional commitment to act in line with our beliefs. But that's an aside. Matt believes he'll be having dinner with his wife, all things being equal, because he believes her claim about her intentions. Her claim creates the warrant for his belief about a future condition, namely meeting his wife for dinner that night. Now, we may want to say that he believes her because she has no reason to lie about it and he has built trust over the years with her and she's reliable in making future plans and so forth. But again, that's the same as what we saw with the trial above. What we're saying is that we that uh, that we have no reason to believe that the claimant is lying. That is that the evidence is good evidence for Matt to form his belief and act upon it. The question isn't is her claim evidence. The question is is it good evidence? And Matt has further reasons to believe that it's good evidence because of his character and, and long-standing history with the person making the claim as being reliable. So the question is not if claims are evidence. I've shown two cases and, and there are so many others that I could give where claims are most definitely are evidence. The question becomes whether a certain claim is good evidence or strong enough evidence to provide warrant sufficient enough for commitment to a belief. However, since Matt attempts to dismiss claims out of hand with the quip that claims are not evidence, he's simply not adequately engaging with the evidence that's been placed before him. Rather than trying to clear the table by waving it all away with this quip, Matt and company should, be, should, should do the epistemologically consistent task of evaluating the evidence with clear and consistent standards. But again, because they want to hand wave it all away, they actually haven't done the hard task of thinking, what is evidence? And how do we evaluate it clearly and consistently by the standards of historiography and, and, and things of the like, right? Because they just, they just dismiss it out of hand, so they haven't done 
that work. Matt's commonly worried about, well, if we allow this and that kind of evidence, what about witches and alien abductions and so on? Okay, there's a lot we can say in response to that and how that is using a really broad brush and it's not clear how engaging with evidence for the reliability of the gospels and using the most basic methods of historiography and historical reportage, for example, would open the floodgates to having to believe every alien abduction story. But really, we can present a contrary again. If we disallow claims to be evidence, then yeah, maybe we've kept his odd fear about allowing alien abductions in, which doesn't seem relevant at all anyways. But we've also now, with the same door we've shut that out with, we've now shut the door on most of what we know about history. Again, not even just ancient history, history from the news last night, which comes to us from primary, secondary, tertiary sometimes claims about what happened. But we also wouldn't be able to, again, with that same door we shut all that out with, we also shut out our ability to live our lives because we could never believe anyone who wasn't able to corroborate every claim with some other form of evidence, even on trivial things like intentions of future states of affairs or future facts. So either that or Matt would have to say that it is reasonable to hold countless beliefs without any evidence whatsoever, which really goes against his modus operandi, where he wants to say we should only have beliefs based on evidence, right? If he doesn't want to shut out and have this unlivable life where we can't believe any claim by anybody uh, because we, we only have beliefs based on, based on evidence, you know, we have warranted beliefs based on evidence, he, he's then stuck on the real horns of a dilemma. Either he gives up the, the assertion that claims are not evidence, or he has to give up his claim that we should only order our beliefs around evidence because now he's saying in order to live our lives and believe my wife, I have to have beliefs and commit to them and act upon them without any evidence whatsoever. So thank you again for joining me. Hopefully next time you hear something like claims are not evidence, you now have some tools and equipment to be able to handle that. Thank you again so much for joining. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, or if you'd like to become a sponsor, or if you'd like to uh, find information about, uh, about uh, this podcast or, or the YouTube channel, head on over to the blog at freethinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. You can email me at freethinkerpodcast.gmail.com, or why not come on by the Freethinker group page on Facebook and join in the discussion. Again, thank you so much for joining. Good night and God bless.